Welcome to War Docs, the military medicine podcast. Our mission is to preserve the oral history of military medicine told from the perspective of the healthcare heroes that lived it. Find out more and join Team War Docs at wardocspodcast.com. In this special WarDoc series called Military Medicine Mentorship Moments, we have partnered with AMSIS, the Society of Federal Health Professionals, to bring you insights and advice about different aspects of mentorship from senior experienced military medical leaders. I'm your host, retired Army urologist Doug Soderdahl. Our featured military medical mentor is the Surgeon General of the United States Navy, Rear Admiral Dr. Bruce Gillingham. Dr. Gillingham is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon and is fellowship-trained in pediatric orthopedic surgery. He also served as an undersea medical officer. You can read his full bio on wardoxpodcast.com. Admiral Gillingham, welcome to Military Medical Mentorship Moments. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. So in this episode, we're going to be focusing on mentorship within military medicine. And let's start with how would you define mentorship and, and what would you consider as a mentorship relationship? A mentorship is someone more experienced and more senior who provides personal, really unofficial guidance to the junior person. And that can take many forms. And I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to talk about some examples. But I think the key is, is that while there may be an official relationship between the people, I think the best mentorship is informal. It's not something you write down necessarily. And I think it needs to be more relaxed than, say, some of our official interactions. Does the military have any formal mentorship programs, and specifically military medicine? Oh, we do. Our chief of Naval Personnel, he emphasizes a, a coaching model. But frankly, in my career, the best mentoring has been informal. It's developed naturally. And it can be intermittent. It doesn't have to be a continuous thing. It doesn't have to be a scheduled thing. And I think for the senior member, it's taking advantage of some of the some of the scheduled events to 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 remember, hey, take this time and and make the effort uh, to be able to provide the mentoring. But we all know that providing advice is only as good as the individual wanting to receive it. And so I think in in most cases, Seeking out someone senior, asking their advice, uh, I think is is probably a you know a more effective way to mentor. But I do think senior folks who identify opportunities that's effective. But I think you have to be careful uh, that you're not offering unsolicited advice. So the military has you know, really structured relationships of somebody is your superior officer, you rate them. Someone is the raider of the raider. How does that work with an informal mentorship scheme? It's usually better, uh, in my experience, if it's someone who's perhaps not the raider, so that uh, individual, particularly the junior individual, can speak more freely, uh, not feel like there are consequences or things that potentially could, could be held against them later. Although I have had mentors along the way where they were in my chain of command, they were primarily offering professional advice in those situations. What are some of the pitfalls that you've seen to try to avoid in a mentorship relationship? I think trying to make it too structured, trying to, uh, as the senior member, as I mentioned, kind of offering unsolicited advice, trying to have some defined schedule to do it. Uh, as you can tell, I'm, I'm more of a fan of an informal model. Uh, and again, I think a senior mentor can see an opportunity, but I think they have to be very careful not to be not to press too hard until they're they're aware that that junior member really 
wants that advice and is in a position to, to take it in. So one of the ways to know if something is going correctly is to measure it. Does Navy Medicine measure how well they do with mentorship or is that something that they could improve on? I think we can improve on that. I think if you start to if you start to put too significant of metrics on it, that may restrict it. And and so I'm much more in favor of again the the more junior individual, more inexperienced individual seeking it out. I think you can perhaps look at it collectively. You know, we've instituted a mentoring program within our residencies, and our graduates seem to do extremely well um, in their careers or or what have you. But I I'm I'm a little leery about overmeasuring it. One of the things that you know, it's kind of been controversial in residency programs is should a mentor be assigned to a resident or do you wait a little bit to see if a relationship forms naturally? How does that work in the programs that you've been involved in? Pretty much every program where they tried to assign a mentor was a failure, um, frankly, <laughs> because um, I think it's a very personal thing. And I know the folks who I identified with and who who I looked up to, and those were the ones that I really wanted to seek advice from. And so I think it has to develop kind of naturally. However, uh, if you have folks who are who would like a mentor, but perhaps aren't as extroverted or outgoing, I think creating opportunities to match them where, where you sit down, where perhaps the program coordinator sits down and says, okay, what are the sorts of issues that you'd like to talk about? And really kind of understand their strengths and weaknesses. And then and then say, hey, I think I've got the right person for you to talk to. Why don't you have a cup of coffee and see if that clicks for you? So, so let's make this a little bit more personal. Who was your most influential mentor and why? I think my father uh, was probably my most influential mentor uh, early on. Uh, I mentioned that, you know, he was a Navy physician who, who highly valued the time that he had spent in the Navy. I looked up to that. I think we all have periods where we're not sure if we're going to have what it takes to get into medicine, for example, to get into medical school. Very, very competitive. Having someone say, hey, uh, if, if not you, who? And really continued support and encouragement. Uh, I can vividly remember I was uh, in college, uh, wondering uh, if I was going to be able to get into medical school and having those conversations with my, with my dad uh, and him saying, hey, listen, there is a field in medicine for every personality, and you're going to find you're going to find the right one for you. So, one of the things in in medicine is it seems like a lot of people do seek out a mentor, and that mentor is another physician or another nurse or whatever specialty you're in. Being in military medicine and having operational assignment, what do you think about trying to find a mentor? in the a line unit or, you know, a commander who's not medical? Some of my best mentors uh, were enlist, senior enlisted members. And so they were all line, but, but they, I'm sorry, they were all medical, but they had extensive line experience. Uh, and so for me, for example, coming out of internship, going to undersea medical officer school, and then reporting to my first duty station, uh, which was in Roosevelt Roads, Puerto Rico, uh, I was the medical officer for a recompression chamber. And we had a senior chief, so an E8 dive med tech, and he helped me convert book learning, you know, as we all are coming out of medical school and training uh, into practical experience um, and really helped me understand how I could be most effective 
you know, even though I was the officer in this group of, of enlisted divers running the chamber, he really, he really helped me learn how to lead in that, in that setting uh, and uh, how to appreciate the strengths of those folks who didn't have necessarily my training uh, and, to, and to value that. So, so I think that's one example. The, um, the other really great example uh, goes back to my time in Iraq in 2004. We had a 45-person team. They were from 12 different Navy medical treatment facilities. And uh, I was the officer in charge. Our first mass casualty, you know, I was, I was worried about, uh, okay, how are we going to make sure we get all this right and do the correct triage, et cetera. And as one of only the four, four surgeons, I needed to be in patient care. And my, my, uh, one of my chiefs, Chief Susie Duggar, just essentially took over running the mass casualty, but she did it in a very diplomatic, very unobtrusive way. And, and so kind of a form of mentorship in that, in that she showed me how we could pull all these disparate efforts together. And so from that point on, uh, as, as we dealt with various issues, uh, not just medical treatment, but handling of the unit and keeping everybody motivated during a long deployment and, and during a very busy period, uh, of casualty reception, uh, she just taught me by example uh, how to lead. And so uh, I've, I always think of her when I'm asked to talk about a Navy chief, uh, those two examples are some that I use. That's a great uh, example of modeling good behavior that people are watching. What would you say is some of the best advice that you ever got from a mentor? One of the things a mentor can do is I wouldn't, I wouldn't be Navy Surgeon General without uh, the intervention of, a, of Captain John Webster. So he was a spine surgeon when I came in as a resident. He eventually became the department chairman in orthopedics in San Diego. And he saw capabilities and talents in me that I didn't recognize. So I was very content. I came back from fellowship. I was establishing my surgical practice, really enjoyed teaching residents, and really felt that I would I would get out of the Navy at 20 years and move move over to a children's hospital as a pediatric orthopedist. Uh, and he completely understood that and understood my intent. Uh, but the position of um, uh, director of surgery at Balboa opened up, and I hadn't been a I hadn't been a department head or anything. But he said, you know, he said I think you would be really good at that. And uh, prior to this, he said, you know, it'd be really it's really important for you to get outside the department and contribute to the command in other ways. And so um, he, he said, hey, there's an opening on the risk management committee. And I know you're, we've had a lot of discussions about high reliability and, pay, and preventing patient harm. I think that'd be a great opportunity for you. And in fact, it turned out to be one I really enjoyed and felt like I could make a difference. And so about a year later, uh, he said, hey, this uh, director of surgery, why don't, why don't you interview for that? And you may not get picked, uh, but it'll help you understand how the hospital operates, and and I and I really think you have you have some real talent in terms of leadership. And sure enough, I interviewed that first time. I didn't wasn't accepted. Uh, I was a commander. I was an 05 at the time, and an 06 was picked. One of our cardiac surgeons. Well, he subsequently left a year later, and so I interviewed again. And based on the feedback uh, that Captain Webster had provided from kind of our debrief of that initial interview. I was accepted. And one of the key things that I'd share was in preparation for that first set of interviews, I had put together kind of the direction I thought 
director of surgery ought to go and identified some areas that I thought we could make real progress. I'd kind of written all that up, put it together in about a two-page brief. I went to the interview. I was asked a list of standard questions, and that two-page brief never left the file folder that I had in my lap. And so afterward, he said, well, why didn't you, why didn't you share that? And I said, well, they didn't ask me. And he said, well, listen, uh, in those situations, don't don't hide you know your light under a bushel. I mean, use whatever opportunity you have, even you know peripherally, uh, to introduce that. So the next time I interviewed, that's what I did. I I answered the question and said, well, I'm glad you asked that question because I've really thought through that, and here's my plan for the department. And I could see that I could see the favorable response um, by the interviewees. And and so I think that's really one of the key things I think particularly for senior folks, is hopefully you're always scanning and you're identifying strengths in people and you're putting them in positions where they can use those and they can excel. Is there anything that you know now about mentorship that you wish you knew much earlier in your career? I would say I wish I'd read the book, First Break All the Rules, which is I found tremendous. As it was, I found it literally at a Barnes & Noble in the man- leadership and management section of the, as I was becoming the director, I said, hey, I better learn something about leadership and management. So the book is, uh, re- high, I highly recommend it, but it's it's lessons learned from very successful managers. And, they, and it was determined by the Gallup Corporation. Right. So they actually did surveys. What uh, One of the things that really stood out to me were the interviewing skills and asking asking very open-ended questions and really listening as people told you what their strengths are. And uh, I will tell you that that was, that's been very valuable because I've interviewed folks, the commanding officer, you're interviewing people who are trying to be part of your leadership team and listening and they've applied for a given job. And if you really listen and ask open-ended questions, I've at least three times identified folks who were interviewing for one position who were perfect for another. And I said, hey, you know, and then, did the interview, made a selection, came back and debriefed them and said, hey, listen, you did a terrific job in the interview. But in fact, I think you're much better suited for X. Uh, and how, how do we help you get get to that? And and so I think that early on interviewing as an associate program director, I talked too much and I didn't let the individuals tell me and, it, you know, really, really listen to what they were saying. So I would say learning to listen for strengths. Yeah, that's excellent advice. The, one of the target audiences for this uh, discussion is people who are starting off in federal healthcare jobs. What advice would you give them if they want to get into a mentorship relationship? What is something that they could do maybe even tomorrow? They'll pretty quickly identify those folks who seem to have it figured out, who are looked up to by the new, by the staff that they're working with. And I think those are the those are the folks that you you know you seek out uh, and that you sit down and say, hey, I'm new. What can you tell me about you know how to be successful in this environment? Uh, what are some of the potential uh, minds that I might step on, and, and kind of start the relationship that way? I'm a huge fan um, of high reliability concepts. As I said, uh, Captain Webster introduced me to those. One of the key things that I've learned. Uh, is the importance of establishing psychological safety in a group. And I bring it up in this context because uh, we often think that there's going to be a barrier to communication between junior and senior. But in fact, it's often the new person to a group who feels intimidated to speak up 
And I think leaders who make it very clear that they want input, that they want everybody to contribute, and that um, very diplomatically correct if the individual is, you know, says something incorrectly, rather than humiliation or some of the other things that, uh, particularly in a surgical field, we we encountered early on. And, and so creating that psychological safety, allowing people really to demonstrate their strengths, support them, and, and really make them feel part of the group early. So who are those people in this new workspace and how do you how do you meet them? How do you get them to, to help you get you know, integrated? Being involved in graduate medical education uh, in your career, you're fully aware that a lot of times people will listen to a 20 minute discussion and leave with maybe one or two things. What is something that you would want the folks that are listening to this to leave with about mentorship? I think it, you know, it goes along with the real current um, and important, you know, effort for diversity and inclusion and equity. That's everybody has strengths. And going back to the, our discussion about listening, I think uh, mentors if if can help people become successful if they listen and they find those strengths and they build that mentoring relationship on them uh, as a starting point. And I'll just give you an example that a recent example, of course, we all recognize that uh, Sidney Poitier recently passed away. Uh, and I saw an interview with him that had been taped three or four years ago. And he mentioned that he, he didn't speak English well. He was, I think, from the Bahamas and he was working in a restaurant. He'd uh, done an audition you know, for a part in a play, had done very poorly, essentially was humiliated, went back to, you know, the restaurant. Uh, and one of the, one of his coworkers, a more elderly gentleman, recognized that, that he couldn't read very well. And so he approached him just very informally and said, hey, I, you know, I get the newspaper every day. Would you like to share it with me? And so they would sit down and work through the newspaper together. So he not only taught him how to read better, uh, but also kind of experienced explained these things that were happening in the world and expanded his worldview. So I think mentors, mentors that identify hurdles and really figure out ways to help people get over them it is, is probably one thing that I would emphasize. We've been speaking with Navy Surgeon General Bruce Gillingham. Sir, thanks again for sharing your mentorship insights with us on Wardock's Military Medical Mentorship Moments, and thank you for your service. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for the opportunity. And I really salute the work that you're doing uh, with War Docs. And so uh, keep up the great work. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our special War Doc series, Military Medical Mentorship Moments, in partnership with AMSIS, the Society of Federal Health Professionals. We invite you to follow and subscribe to our show on whatever platform you consume your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please rate and review this podcast and share our show with your contacts on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find out more information about our show and our guests and how to become a member of Team Wardocs on our website, wardocspodcast.com. That's wardocspodcast, one word, dot com. Thanks so much for your support. If you like war stories and medical drama, War Docs has you covered. Spread the word.